This morning, we get to continue our series called Come and See. We've been going through the book of John and looking at all the different ways that we can see uh, the divinity of Jesus. We can understand, we can see who Jesus really is. And hopefully we've gained a little bit better understanding uh, about that. Today we're going to look at another aspect of his divinity, that he had the ability to look, to see into the future. And he prepared his disciples for that. Now, um, again, I show my age sometimes, but I've mentioned this before, but I think back often to traveling before GPS, right? Before before cell phones, before the internet in your pocket. If you were lucky, you knew someone that had a AAA membership, and you could call and say, could you get me one of those map packs? Y'all remember those things? Anybody? Somebody give me a head nod. Y'all? Okay, you would. You, they could print out, they would call them little triptych packets, and they would print out, you would tell them where you're starting from, where you're going to, and they would print out a whole page by page of directions for your trip. Uh, and so that was kind of cool. If you didn't have that, you just got one of those great old big Atlas maps you kept in your car with all 50 states. And so you were driving down the road like looking where you're going, you know. And uh, Jennifer and I learned real quickly when traveling like that, I was the map reader and she was the driver. (laughs) Because uh, when when she was reading the map, I'd be like, which way do I turn? She would be like, left. I'm like, that's not left. Oh, I mean right. No, left. No. And by the time we figured it out, we were like, yeah, that would have been good like five miles ago. But so we just switched that around. And that's a great marriage tip there. Uh, figure out who's best at what. And she was great driving. Anyway, we were good once we figured that out. Uh, but the thing is now we've gotten stupid driving because we, we just trust in our GPS all the time. And so you'll go to a new city and you're like, where's the airport? I don't know. I just drove to it. And like, where's the downtown? I don't know. I just put it in GPS. And, and that works as long as, uh, m- let's just say it works most of the time. Uh, I saw last year somewhere out west, I think it was Colorado, like there was an accident on the interstate. And so the GPS started routing everybody around the accident. But it routed them on a private mountain road that was gated. And it was gated at the top. So everybody started driving up this little, you know, dirt road, got stuck on top, and they couldn't turn around. And you had like 100 cars up there, and they had to get all the wreckers and tow everybody out. It's like a huge nightmare because GPS said that was the way to go. Uh, was another, I saw another thing on the news where a lady said, I was following the GPS, but she followed it right into a lake. She actually went straight down a boat ramp and went underwater. You would think that, well, but that, that, the problem, right... Uh, all the time, right here in town, right? People follow GPS and truckers end up on Lambsburg Mountain. I'm like, you know, all the time, you'll see a post, Lambsburg is closed because they've got wreckers out there trying to get somebody off the mountain. Um, the problem, GPS is good when it works, but you don't, it tries to predict the future. It tries to predict traffic. It tries to give you the best route, but it's not all that smart. It doesn't always know that doesn't always know how things are going to turn out. Can I just say in life, sometimes we want, to, we want the ability to predict how things are going to turn out. We want to know the directions ahead of time. We want to know where we're going to end up. We want to understand all of this stuff. And yet, so many times, we have no clue 
uh, what's about to happen in our lives. And, and the reality, we want to know what's going to happen, but we're not ready for it. And, and here in the story we're going to be looking at today, um, what we're going to look at is how Jesus prepared his disciples. When we first started this series, we talked about Jesus giving that invitation to the disciples. Come and see. And come and see. Come and be with me. Come and, and, and have a, build that relationship with me. Learn who I am. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. All right, and over the next three years, as they spent time with Jesus, they learned more about who he was and, and why he came. And they got to, to see him perform miracles and do all of these things. Um, and now uh, we're at that point in John where everything's about to change. Uh, he, he's telling them now, right, that at this point we're, we're entering into Jerusalem. It's the final week of his life before the crucifixion. And, 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 and here's the reality, right? At the beginning, I think the disciples would have said, hey, we want to know everything. Tell us how this is going to play out. Tell us how this is going to turn out. And Jesus was like, let me tell you what you're doing now let me tell you your next step let, let me give you one step at a time and, and I think we're the same way we want to know how things are going to turn out if Jesus would have the first time he met the disciples would have said come follow me I'll make you fishers of men I'm going to be crucified on a cross and killed while you watch and then later after you're telling everybody about what happened you're going to be killed as well for following me do you think they would like Sign me up, man. I, I can't wait. No. I mean, they, they would have said, you're absolutely crazy. But what changed? They learned who Jesus really is. They saw his divinity. They saw there was something different, right? It's not just every day. You see someone come back three days later from the dead and, and rise again. That changed the disciples and it completely changed their life, their outlook, their perspective. Now, so far in this series, let me get, kind of give you a quick review. Week one, we learned from John chapter one about how Jesus called the disciples and how he revealed himself as God in the flesh, as God's son here to save mankind. In week two, we learned the story in John chapter three about Nicodemus. And how Jesus revealed to him, right, there's a new way of understanding what salvation is. And he gave him that invitation, uh, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We see that with Nicodemus. Then in last week in John chapter 11, we see Jesus is the miracle worker, worker who was able to raise Lazarus from the dead. Throughout this gospel, we just see all of these different eyewitness accounts revealing who Jesus is to us. And so we understand, we see the evidence that Jesus is more than a mere man. He is more than a good teacher. He is the God who loves us and who has come to save us. Today, if you've got your Bibles, we'll be in John chapter 12. We'll put it up on the screen. Uh, we'll look a little bit about how Jesus uh, shows us the future. Uh, here in this passage, he tells his disciples that he's going to die. He tells them the purpose of his death. He tells them how he's going to die. And he does all of this to get them ready. He's revealing 
their next step one step at a time. And so it kind of leads me to my, my first point. Jesus prepares us when the timing is right. Now, again, I, I think we, we want Jesus to prepare us on our time frame, uh, when we're ready, when we want to know. All right, we, we want to know when we're, when we're ready. And Jesus says, wait a minute here. It's not about when you're ready. It's about when the timing is right. It's about when I'm ready to share that information with you. Throughout Scripture, we see uh, Jesus kind of tell people that the time has not yet come. It's not ready. He, he even tells people after he performs miracles, go and don't tell anybody what you just saw. Why? Because the time has not come. And here in John 12, though, we see kind of a, a, a switch flip a little bit. And what we see here is him saying, okay, now the time has come. Let's pick it up in verse 20. Uh, it says, Some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. They said, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. And Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Again, I think we often, we're not ready for what the future holds. We think we are, we think we can handle it, but Jesus knew this wasn't the case for the disciples. They weren't ready. And so if he finally is telling them everything that's going to happen, he, he's kind of setting things up. Now John tells us here there's some Greeks in Jerusalem at that time who, you know, and you think about this, they were, they were Gentiles. They weren't allowed to go to the inner court of the temple often where Jesus were teaching. They were out at the court of the Gentiles, but they had heard about this Jesus. This Jesus who uh, healed, uh, you know, who was able to, uh, to, to tell a Samaritan woman everything that she had ever done and, and forgive her of her sins. They, they had seen how he had healed the Roman centurion's son. They, they had heard and seen all of this stuff about Jesus and how he was going not just to the Jews, but to everyone. And so they came to find out more about this man. They had hope. They, they, were, they were hoping that he could do something. And so they went to Philip. Many people think Philip was probably a, a Hellenistic Jew, a Greek Jew because of his name. He had, a, he had a Greek name. And so they went to him and said, hey, set us up. Help us out here. Can you get us to Jesus? And so he went to Jesus. But it's interesting to note, Jesus doesn't say, hey, yeah, I'd love to meet him. Jesus said, no, now's not the time because the time has come. It's time for me uh, to, to start going to the cross in essence, is what he's telling him here. He's, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And what he's about to do is going to open up that door wide so that anybody who believes, anybody who puts their faith in Jesus, has access now to God. He's swinging that door open, giving access to everyone. 
Jesus, he immediately went on to talk about his death and he kind of used this illustration of a kernel of wheat. And th these people were, you know, an agrarian society. They knew how to work the land. And so when he gave this, the, this illustration, right, the people would understand. Like you take a, a kernel that looks dead and has no life, it looks like, and you plant it in the ground and, and it sprouts forth and spreads and and they would understand, right, that what he's talking about here, he's using that to kind of foreshadow, predict what his life is going to be like. His life is going to be planted in the ground. And, and he's going to be, he, he, through his death, all of this life is going to flow out of his death. And so after all of this time preparing his disciples, uh, now it's time to change their focus. Now, earlier in John chapter 12, we see Jesus entering into Jerusalem. He had been in John chapter 11, he had been in Bethany, uh, and, which is right over the hill from the, uh, from the Mount of Olives uh, leading into Jerusalem. And he'd been there and raised Lazarus from the dead. And the word had got out about that. And now he's entering into Jerusalem. And everybody's shouting, you know, Hosanna to God, glory to God in the highest. And they're praising Jesus. Now... I want to show you a picture uh, a little uh, of from the Mount of Olives looking into Jerusalem. Um, it's a picture I took last year, uh, standing on the Mount of Olives looking into Jerusalem. And what's interesting about this picture, right, is obviously it would have looked a little different in Jesus' day. It was not as much built up. But looking down from the hill into Jerusalem, the one thing you notice in this picture is the Dome of the Rock, which is a Muslim shrine now, but it sits at the exact place where the temple was, the Herodian temple. Now, the Herodian temple was bigger than that, like twice as tall. Right. Can you imagine Jesus and his disciples top the hill on the Mount of Olives, looking down into Jerusalem. They see the city. And, and the temple, what's, what's incredible about the temple is it also sat at the exact place in the Old Testament uh, where Abraham went on top of Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son Isaac. And so uh, this is the same place, right? And what did God do on Mount Moriah? He provided a sacrifice. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. He knows that a sacrifice needs to take place. He's looking at that temple mount area. He sees the temple and in the distance, right behind, put that picture up one more time here. I'll show you one more. You may be able to see it. There's a few domes behind that. Uh, you, a little hard to see in that picture. But that's the place of the Church of the Holy Sepulcher now. That's the place of Calvary where Jesus was would, would be crucified. So from the Mount of Olives, he sees the temple. But he also sees where he's about to be crucified. You think about that, right? Uh, you think about the crowd shouting and praising Jesus. They're, they're thinking, this is the Messiah. This is the guy who is going to save us. But yet that same crowd later that week were the same crowd that were shouting to crucify him. Now, you know, I think they realized pretty quickly that Jesus was not going to be the political savior that they wanted, that freedom from the Roman government. He came for a much deeper purpose. And that leads me to my second point. Jesus wanted his disciples to understand the purpose of his death. 
They were looking for, for, for salvation in, in, in kind of a political context. They were under Roman oppression and they wanted a military king, a, a political savior to come and rescue them. I, I would say, I, I, and you, you, may, you, you may get mad at me for this, but I think we fall into that same trap today. We, we feel like we need a political savior when Jesus says it is more important that I come to save people from their sin. Their, their hearts are a bigger issue than their politics. And, and so Jesus, right, we're, we're often praying for Jesus to do something. And he's saying, I've got a much bigger plan. I've got a much bigger purpose than you can even realize. But let me tell you about it. In verse 25, he said, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Often it seems like Jesus talks in riddles, right? It seems like he's, he's like, what is he trying to say? And, and he's, he's giving them this countercultural message that if you want to follow me, it, it means that you're laying down your life. Right? You take up your cross daily and follow after me. It means that if you want to save your life, you're, you, you're going to lose your life. He, he's telling them all this because there's a bigger purpose at play. Why did Jesus have to come? Why did he have to die? The answer comes in this description, right? He says, uh, right, anyone who wants to serve me must follow me. The Father will honor me. And he keeps going here uh, and kind of explains it a little more in verse 27. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Here's the purpose. Father, bring glory to your name. If we could just like stop and highlight that phrase, right, and come back to it, this is going to be important. Father, bring glory to your name. Then a voice spoke from heaven saying, I've already brought glory to my name and I will do so again. And when the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder, while others declared an angel had spoken to them. Then Jesus told them, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. It's interesting to note here that Jesus was troubled. Right? On the, the Mount of Olives, there's a church there called the Dominus Flavid. And uh, it, it's a church and it's shaped in a teardrop because it's where Jesus stopped on his way into Jerusalem and, and cried over and wept over the city. And so it, it kind of memorializes that place there. And, and it just says here, Jesus was troubled. He knew what lay ahead. He knew about the pain, the betrayal, the loneliness, the hurt, the injustice, the torture. All of that, he knew about being the sacrifice, about bearing the weight of the sin of the world upon his shoulders. He knew that that must be endured, and that left him troubled. And, and so you think about this, and in spite of all of this, he knew that the purpose was to bring glory to God. Now, I'll share, right, often we pray, we go through tough times in life, and everybody in this room goes through tough times. Let's just be honest. And if you really haven't gone through tragedy or pain or suffering, you will. It's coming. There's going to be something in your life that just brings you to that point where you're like, I don't know where to go, I don't know where to turn, I don't know how, to, how I'm going to get through this. 
And often in those moments, what do we pray? We're like, God, rescue me, save me, get me out of this mess, fix my problem. Lord, just, I'll do anything for you if you just come and fix this mess that I'm in. That's, that's often how we pray. It's interesting here, though, Jesus doesn't say, Father, fix this for me. He's like, Father, get glory through this. Instead of praying, God, save me from this problem, what if we started praying, God, I pray that you will get glory through this? It's a different way to pray, and it's a scary way to pray. Because it may mean that God's going to let you stay in that problem longer. It's going to mean that you may suffer a little while longer. But what if people see how you endure? What if people see how you handle adversity? What if people see your perseverance and, and your faith and they're able to see Jesus through you? That they're able to get, we're able to, to bring glory to God by the way we handle our problems in life. If every time you, you, you get into a problem, you are freaking out and you lose it, what do people see? They see that you don't really trust God. They see that your faith is weak. But when you, in the middle of your hardship, say, you know what? It's going to be all right. I don't care what happens. God has got this. He's going to carry me through this. And I'm going to praise him even in the midst of my problem. Do you realize that what a witness that is to a world that is scared and fearful and, and, and worried about the unknown? We don't always understand, right, what's going to happen. We don't always see the future. We don't know where the road is going to take us. But we can trust that God is there with us. As we keep going in this passage, we also see how Jesus prepared them for the way that he would die. There's a little bit of uh, uh, for, foreshadowing here. Uh, he prepared them for how he would die. And what we see here, again, he, he's traveling in. He's looking out over uh, Jerusalem. He sees the place of, of the cross. And he says here in John 12, And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. In verse 32 and verse 33, he said this to indicate how he was going to die. So let me talk about the cross for a minute. And I don't want to get into all the gory details. You've probably heard messages about that before. The cross was invented as a way of torture, way of death, probably by the, either the Assyrians or the Babylonians uh, centuries before Rome was even on the scene. Uh, Alexander the Great brought it uh, from there to the, from, into the areas around Israel and uh, the Phoenicians introduced it to Rome in the 3rd century B.C. And so while it was not new for the Romans, the Romans took it and ran with it and perfected it as a means of torture. For over 500 years, they used it as a way of publicly shaming and embarrassing and torturing and humiliating the people who they wanted to kind of put up as an example to everyone else. They would set up a cross right outside of town, right on the main road where everybody could see. And they would then, you know, you've seen the nails and the hands and the feet. And it was a miserable way to die. And you, the people would normally die from, asphyxi from asphyxiation because they, they couldn't breathe. They couldn't pick themselves up enough to take a breath. 
And so eventually your body just gave out and you just suffocated. And so it could take anywhere from six hours to four days of suffering. And all the time people are just walking by, making fun of it, jeering at the people. Uh, Just a horrible, horrible thing to even perceive that you could do something like that. And Jesus is saying here, when I am lifted up, in essence he's saying, I'm going to be the one lifted up that people are jeering at and looking at. All right. He told them, he's preparing them. And they still struggled with unbelief. We see later, when the crucifixion actually did happen, the disciples took off, scared and running. And they didn't know, they just started questioning Jesus. We even see it here in John 12 as we keep going. The crowd responded in verse 34, We understood from Scripture that the Messiah would live forever. How can you say that the Son of Man will die? Just who is the Son of Man anyway? And... Listen, Jesus replied, my light will shine for you just a little longer. Walk in the light while you can, so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going. Put your trust in the light while there is still time. Then you will become children of the light. After saying these things, Jesus went away and was hidden from them. But despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe him. Have y'all ever walked, and we live in the country, have y'all ever walked in the woods at night without a flashlight? It's fun, isn't it? On a moonlit night, it, it, and I'm talking about not, on a night when the moon's not out, right? When it's, when it's cloudy, when it's not a full moon. Uh, it, it's like you walk in the, and you don't see anything. It can be pitch black, right? And you, you may have enough light just to take one step at a time and, and see... Uh, back in the back in the summer, Drew was our son, our youngest son, Drew was working up at the Blue Ridge Discovery Center up near White Top. Really neat place, and they kind of found and were documenting all these synchronous fireflies, uh, which was kind of cool. They a different kind of lightning bug that light up at the same time in patterns. If you hadn't seen them, there's some in the Smoky Mountains. They're usually in higher elevations, um, and so he was telling us about them. We're like, this is kind of cool. So we're like, Jennifer and I are like, can we come up and see him? He's like, sure. Uh, and so we got up there, um, and so middle of the night, we're walking back in the woods, okay? And he's like, you can't use the flashlight, right? You don't want to scare the lightning bugs. <laughs> and, you know, you start walking through the woods, every little twig that snaps, you're like, is that a bear? <laughs> is that a bear? I mean, and, and all we're knowing is just like, okay, you know, and luckily we didn't trip and fall. I did step in some mud and all, you know, you get, in, you get into all sorts of stuff there. Uh, we didn't die, so that was good. But we finally got in this, you know, this little clearing and all of a sudden, you know, the sky just starts lightning, lighting up and uh, the blue ghost fireflies and the synchronous lightning bugs and all this stuff going on. Everywhere. It was beautiful to see. We stayed up there like an hour. But I was just thinking, and like we used a little red flashlight to come out of there, and you could see just enough to take a, a step. Um, and it just made me think, right? I, typically, what we would want to do is put a floodlight on so we can see everything. But, w- but we would miss the beauty of the journey. Right? The, the beauty of the journey was knowing that all these things were all around us. And if we could just slow down enough we could see them 
And God does that in our life. There's beauty all around us. He wants us to slow down and realize it. And he just says, take one step at a time. Trust me. Trust me. Trust in the light. Right? Walk in the light while you can. Uh, You know, he's just saying, put your trust in the light while there's still time. He's telling us that today. Will we trust him with the light? And again, right, they didn't have huge flashlights and they they just when they had a light they could only see what was in front of them and i think so many times we in our way of thinking we just want to see everything know everything expect everything be prepared for everything and god's telling us trust me walk in the light while we can Put your trust in me. Walk, take the step you can see. Don't worry about what comes next. Don't worry if there are bears all around you. I've got you. And that kind of leads me to my, my final point this morning. Our future may be unknown, but we can still choose to trust God because He's always faithful. He's always faithful. Verse 44, Jesus shouted to the crowds, If you trust me, you are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. In essence, I and God are one. If you see me, you have seen God. Uh, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me, for I have come to save the world and not to judge it. But all who reject me in my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who has sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life. So I say whatever the Father tells me to say. Can I just boil this down? He's just saying, trust me. Trust me with your life. And so can I ask you that this morning? Do you trust God to save you? Do you trust God for your eternity? Do you trust God to forgive you? Do you trust God to be there when you need Him? Has God been faithful? Is He going to be faithful? Do you trust Him? If you have walked with Christ in your life, you know that God is faithful. There's evidence of that. I think about my own life and the things that he saved me from, the things he saved me out of, the way he changed my life. I would not be standing here, right, if it was not for for, for Jesus working in my life. And throughout this book, John has been telling, he he says things like, I'm telling you this now so that you will know. Over, If we skip ahead to John 13, he says, I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth. Anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me. Anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. And so there's times, right, that, that I would just say, we're telling you this now, that there are going to be tro- problems in your life. There's going to be trials. There's going to be hardships, but that you can know that God is there for you. Why? So that you will know when you go through that and you experience it, you will see for, your, for yourself, right, who Jesus really is. This whole series is about learning who Jesus is. And I kind of just want to challenge you this morning. Who is Jesus to you? 
We have the incredible benefit of seeing the whole story of the Bible. We know how the story ends. We know who Jesus is and why he came. We know that we were separated from God because of our sin, and God made a way that we could be forgiven of our sin and reconciled back to himself, and that is through Jesus. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, then that's when we can be forgiven of our sin, reconciled to God, given a new heart, a new life, a new desire, a new spirit within us to help us live this new life. And that changes everything. We, we see how that story plays out. We know that God has not forgotten about us, that he's coming back again one day. That he's going to come back and, and, and he's going to fix the problems of this world in such a way where there are no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain. But until that day, our job, our mission, our purpose is to tell as many people as we can about this Jesus. And so I would just say to you today, you may not understand everything that is happening in your life right now, but you can know this, that he is faithful. He is faithful. And and so we can trust him. We can can see the patterns in our life that point to this, this wonderful God who loves us and cares for us. And I want to close this morning with Romans chapter 3. It says, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. Here's the gospel. How are we made right with God? It's not by being a good person. It's not by going to church. It's not by giving money. It's not by accumulating enough good things to outweigh the bad. It's through faith in Jesus. Understanding that He paid the penalty for your sin. That He lived a perfect life. He became that sacrifice, that perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so when He went to the cross, He carried all of your mistakes, all of your sin, all of your shame upon His shoulders. And when He was crucified and took that to the grave, and then He conquered death in the grave, three days later came back to life. We don't worship a a, a good teacher, a, a good prophet. We worship... The, the God who came in human flesh and rose back to, from the grave. That's, that's what separates Christianity from everything else. And so today, I just want to say, do you know that Jesus that I'm talking about? Do you know Him? I'm going to ask that you bow your heads today. We're going to pray. We're going to close. Praise team will come back up. But would you just pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we learn more about who you are and how much you love us, I pray that you would just open up our hearts to receive the good news, the gospel message that you loved us so much that you sent your one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Your word tells us that when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he's the master of our life, that we surrender to him and and we believe in our heart that God, you raised Jesus back from the dead, then we'll be saved. That's the promise you have given us. 
And so today, for everyone listening online and watching online, for those that are here today, for, for our first service as well, Lord, we just see you, you we see your goodness. And we want to praise you for that. We want to thank you for that. And I just pray that if there's anyone here that has not put their faith and trust in Jesus, then today would be that day that you forever change their life, that they would say, I'm tired of trying to do life my way on my own terms, and I want to surrender to you. If that's you here today, I want to invite you to come and see who this Jesus really is. Would you, would you pray with me? Just say, Dear Heavenly Father, I'm tired of doing life my way. I surrender. I quit. I want to put you in charge of my life. I know I've sinned. I know I've messed up. I know I've disobeyed you. I know I've run from you. So today, Lord, I want to ask forgiveness for all of that. Lord, I believe. I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus is who he said he is. I may not understand everything, but I, but I believe help my unbelief and so today Lord I want to put my faith my trust in Jesus to save me to set me free to put me on a new path to, to, to empower me with his spirit to Lord I, just, I, I choose to believe I choose to trust Lord save me today Lord I just want to thank you because you hear that prayer every time someone prays it and you answer it faithfully time after time your word tells us that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We just want to thank you for that today, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.